Welcome to another episode of the Arrive podcast. Uh, today we will be discussing some situations that we run into when we're advising not only clients, but also potential clients, people that call into our office. And we hear some crazy things that they tell us that other attorneys or law firms have told them bad advice. And unfortunately, this happens all the time. And we have a list. <laughs> we don't even, we don't have enough time. Well, I guess is, we have enough and time. And these are just recent. This is all within the last yeah. two weeks, right? Yeah. <laughs> we said, you know what? This will make a great podcast. Let's talk about these questions, these scenarios that we see happen. And these are, these are real situations. We're, we don't, we're not making them up. Uh, they are based on advice that people have been given by quote unquote immigration attorneys. Um, some of them are consultants as well, immigration consultants. And we've already talked about, you know, being leery of who you're hiring when you're hiring an attorney. Make sure that these people are licensed, that they're qualified, that they're competent. Do your research on them. Um, if you can't find much information about them, that, that's a red flag. But also, look and luckily, at the reviews I mean, and luckily, stuff. some of these people called us and we gave them the advice they needed before they actually retained an attorney. So some of them, they were doing their due diligence when we heard the bad advice that received, but some of them had already acted on advice or retained somebody um, who had given them bad advice. And now they were calling us to see if there was a way to get out of the mistakes they'd made on the basis of that. So, um, you know, before you pull a trigger and sign that retainer, just make sure you trust who you're talking to. Um, and you've, you've maybe, called around a bit and, and yeah, seen if their around. advice is, is legitimate. I'm, I'm surprised people tell me, oh, I hired this so-and-so, and I look the person up, I'm like, how, how did you even make that decision? Like, there's not a lot of information on this individual. There's not a lot of information on the firm. It's clear that they don't practice immigration. They have a lot of bad reviews. So just be careful. So we'll, we'll start off. We'll go down this list, and we'll, and we'll talk about these scenarios that we've, we've seen that we've run into that um, that can have a significant impact on your life and on your situation if if you follow this bad advice. First one, and this is a pretty basic one. So an immigration yeah. attorney who's been practicing should not be giving this, this bad advice. Uh, an individual called in and they were upset. And the reason they were upset is because an attorney had told them, and this was a U.S. citizen petitioning her brother, right? And she had been told when she hired No, her, it was the person, yes, she was petitioning her brother, yeah, right? Yeah, she was petitioning yeah. her brother. She had been told by another law firm, another attorney um, here in Buffalo, we won't say who, but that told this individual that their case would process within a year. And that their brother, they sh she should expect that her brother is going to be here in the United States within a year. In yeah. reality, and, and when you're looking at processing times, and we'll clear. So with processing times, nobody can make an exact determination as to when somebody's going to arrive. We can make an educated guess based on listed processing times, based on how our current cases are processing that are similar. So you can make it a relatively close guess. Right. Uh, and I often, when I'm talking to people, will ask where they are in the United States, 
So we can even figure out what field office they're going to be dealing with and check the current processing times at that field office for the process they're using. And it doesn't give you an exact uh, date. It doesn't give you even, um, you know, it'll give you a range. And that range may or may not be accurate by the time your case um, you know, gets to the field like office. COVID, but can give you COVID can happen in the right. meantime and cause a significant <laughs> delay, right? <laughs> Things can happen. Yeah, but it'll give you a general idea of what you should expect for your case. But in this case, they were off by how many years? Oh, what? 12, yeah. 12 to 14 years. Yeah, they were told years. one month for to petition a brother to bring them to the United States. And any immigration attorney who knows family-based immigration will know that you have to check the visa bulletin for that type of a sponsorship. Uh, yeah. And it's currently running 14 years to, to sponsor, sponsor a, a sibling. sibling. And that is if the sibling isn't in one of the listed countries. So if you're from India, Mexico, China, it could be different. Philippines. Right. It could be even longer. So very bad advice um, for processing. Again, you can't, we don't know with certainty what those times are, but to be off by yeah, 14 was, years. She was pretty upset. She was um, expecting her brother to be here in 2022 and made decisions he retired yeah. he was making decisions yes. on this which you shouldn't do right you shouldn't be making those long-term decisions until you actually have been approved for your visa so we don't we advise against that but you know she was following her attorney's advice was confident that this that her brother would be here within a year yeah. she followed up with the attorney and this is the best part she followed up with the attorney and said hey um it's been a year where where's, where's my, my case brother? at the attorney's reply, what do you mean? He's not going to be here for, and then he drops the bomb <laughs> for several years. Yeah. And, and, and then the person said, well, you told me a year. And anyway, the argument ensued as to who was correct there, but bad advice. Um, and she acted on it. And so that can have a significant impact on you and your life and her brother. Well, and the sad part was that the, decisions I mean, that. the attorney didn't even really didn't apologize admit error, or yeah. admit the error just said oh no um you must have been mistaken i said um it was a range i think it was what eight to eleven months or something i said eight to eleven years um, but then the person actually found an, an email where they'd said eight to eleven months um and then the attorney said oh no that was just a typographical error so it's you know clearly the bad advice um, unfortunate that the person doesn't really have any recourse as far as and mistakes um, happen. We're human, that process up, but um, but to try to cover it up and not admit to it too—that's that's that's a whole nother story, right? Com completely unethical, um, bad advice to you. So um, double check, do your research, um, and. The and understand one thing your timelines before you start the process, so that you don't and have don't any make decisions based on them either like long-term decisions and we advise people don't do that you know don't sell your house until you've got that visa in hand now sell your house don't quit your don't do those long-term decisions until you're confident you have the paperwork in hand to come to the u.s um next <laughs> this is another this is another firm that we see out of toronto that oh my gosh i don't know how these people remain in business they give such bad advice and a lot of their bad advice comes from immigration consultants as well. So they're a mix of attorneys and consultants. Um, you know, they're all over the place with their marketing, uh, but they're they're all over the place with their advice too. And a lot well, of it's and bad. And they mix Canadian immigration advice with U.S. immigration advice. And 
and give bad advice based on that. So this one is an individual that contacted us, unfortunately, after they had already hired this other firm and um, they had a pending, no, you had the call. So they had a pending I-130 or was it approved? What was it? No, they hadn't filed anything yet. They were a uh, Canada-US couple. So he was Canadian and she's American. And uh, they were looking to um, get married and make their life in the United States. So they contacted a U.S. immigration firm in Toronto Toronto. um, that didn't just practice U.S. immigration. They also do Canadian. And they got some advice about him coming to the United States and filing their case inside the U.S. Um, The attorney that they had uh, actually gave them a letter to for him to present at the border when he came across as a visitor saying that um, you can come in you know this is our client he is uh, going to be marrying his girlfriend in the United States and they'll be moving to Texas Um, so please allow him to come into the U.S. so that he can file his application for adjustment of status any U.S. immigration practitioner would know that the border officer not only won't admit you, they can't admit you under those circumstances. So this couple's plans... Easiest refusal ever for (laughs) CBP. This couple's plans really, um, you know, were trashed and he had to return to Canada. He was not admitted to the United States and they called me very shocked and surprised that this happened um, after doing a bit of research after they had been denied entry to the United States or he had been denied entry to the U.S., uh, they they figured out that they'd gotten some bad advice and were wondering how they could correct for it. But yeah, it's, you know, they went back to the firm and the firm again, you know, apologized. They did take responsibility, but at the same time, their plans are you now can't ruined. can't fix that. Can't fix it. So now You've he's got already declared that intent right. at the border. So now the chances are that his only recourse is going to be to file from Canada, Canada and, wait. Um, and wait that excessive processing time that they're experiencing yeah, at, at least the consulate. A, it's at least a year longer. And they're not going to the be US. able to live together for another year or two. So it's, you know, that's a, that's a hard th- knock to someone's relationship when they're starting to plan a life together. So, you know, make sure before you make any moves and you hire an attorney, you, you want to be speaking to someone you trust. And I think one of the red flags with this case was that while he was, and he was in talks with this attorney for months and months before they had this plan, um, had retained well in advance, they had kept changing the team and the attorney that he was working with. So he never got comfortable with the, the voice on the phone or the email address he was communicating with, and they kept changing the people. And in fact, when he went back to them afterwards, they changed the group of people again. So he, he just told me the team kept changing. It had changed it at least three times throughout the process. Uh, very frustrating if you don't know who you're dealing with or, you know, who's responsible for the advice you received. It's hard enough to keep track or to manage one of these cases properly on your own when you know all the facts and they're they're in front of you all the time. But to get thrown a case, you know, partway through, it's hard to keep track of that. So changing your counsel or the person on your case, that's, that's a red flag. Yeah, and I think what happened here really was maybe he was dealing with someone who um, the majority of their practice was in, in Canadian immigration because that kind of um, issue doesn't really come up at the Canadian border. They'll allow um, spouses to come in to Canada and to adjust or change you know, status in Canada. Um, you know, so that letter very much probably would have flown if he was presented to the CBSA entering Canada. That's part of the problem, right? But not okay for yeah. the U.S. So you want to make sure you're 
you're doing U.S. immigration. Let's not speak to someone whose main practice area is Canadian immigration. They're just not going to give you the advice you need, and it's not going to be correct. Yeah. And um, the main issue with this is is what's called immigrant intent. You can't show up to the United States border seeking entry with intent to live here unless you have the proper visa to do so. In other words, an immigrant visa or a visa that carries dual intent to do that. Just showing up as a visitor saying, hey, I'm immigrating to the United States with a spouse. That's the easiest refusal ever because your only intent as a visitor to the United States is to visit. You you can't come and live and work and stay here permanently as a visitor. So that's that's a clear uh, error on their part in, in the advice that they gave. And like Christine said, um, very easy for a CBP officer <laughs> to identify and refuse that person. It's not the yeah, only right. time this has happened. I just had a case similar to this, remember, a few months ago. And she was coming in on a TN uh, visa to the United States. And she she told the border officer, oh, yeah, and I'm going to go marry my husband at the same time. Eh, can't do that. Um, so she was refused under the same uh, immigrant intent issue. So so be careful there. Um Another one that we see uh, on a regular basis. So TN visas, v- TN visa status falls under the USMCA, which was formerly NAFTA. And although it is a visa status that is listed and it's clearly an available option for people to work in the United States, there's not a terrible amount of practitioners that deal with it on a regular basis. They primarily deal with... H-1B visas or L-1 visas when it comes to work visa status in Mm -hmm. the U.S., but not TNs. So what we see a lot is practitioners that aren't very familiar with working with Canadians and getting that TN status, they give conflicting advice or they give, they cross over, similar to the case that you were just talking about where they mix Canadian immigration and U.S. immigration. Well, we see where they mix TN advice with H-1B advice or they're giving advice. TN advice for Mexicans getting mixed with TN advice for Canadians, which are two completely different processes. Or they mix in uh, immigration for an Indian national or Chinese national, and they apply that to the same as a Canadian national, not the same. Um, So, for example, we see TN applications where people have presented them at the border or they want us to review this TN application before they go to the border. And one of the common things we see... And it may have been prepared by the immigration attorney hired by their employer to prepare this. The counsel for the for right. the company, typically, is who does that. And they show up with a DS-160. And a DS-160 is a form that's used at the consulate. And it's used to to set up an appointment at the consulate to get an appointment so that the consulate will then issue you a visa to enter the United States. It's not required for a TN visa. Only for a Mexican applicant at the consulate, but not for Canadians. Not for Canadians. Also, they'll they'll also send them with another form, which is called a Form I-129. And Form I-129 is a petition for, it can be used to petition for a TN, but it's done by mail with U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. It's not done at the border. So they throw in these forms that they're used to using for other nationalities, but when you're a Canadian, they don't apply in your case. So you, we see these applications that can, can be 100 pages long. I just reviewed one the other day. 
that have all of this information in there and forms that aren't required for the process. That if you show up at a port of entry, it makes it easy for an officer to turn you away and say, hey, look, you, you just don't have the right correctly. Yeah. information and, here. I mean, that's in the best case scenario. In the worst case scenario... They proceed you know, with it. Or the forms and the you know application package may have conflicting information. So the more you're presenting, the more opportunity there is there to present information that conflicts with either your intention on the TN or, you know, there may the be profession. errors in it. You, you just don't yeah. want to go with extraneous information that's not required for the process. Um, it could actually get you denied at the end of the day. Yes. So, so be careful. And we see that advice a lot. And it simply comes down to practitioners that aren't familiar with doing the TN visa status for Canadians. So they're giving advice based on uh, working with other nationals of other countries. And in the end, it's, it's hurting it's hurting their client um, because they're showing up with all this extra information and, and supporting documents that aren't required or complicating the process. They may even tell them, Oh, you know, you need an approval with USCIS first, and then you have to go make an appointment at your consulate. And you know, the consular appointment times for non immigrant visas in Toronto or, you know, one of the other consulates in Canada, they're really backlogged right now. Some of them are listing at like 500 days. So you're not going to get one of those appointments. So if you're, you know, if you're working with an immigration practitioner that's telling you that's what you need, you may think it's going to take over a year to get your TN when you could literally show up at the border and have it same day. Yeah, and that's a common one because if, if, if you're from India, for example, and you get an approval for your H-1B and you're not in the United States, you have to set up a consular appointment to then get stamped, to then get enter the United States, actually issue a visa in your passport. But like you said, for a Canadian, even if you file by mail with USCIS, you show up with the approval notice at the port of entry. Yeah, and we've seen people call in you. with that. Well, I need my consular appointment. And we're just like, what are you talking about? No, you're about? Canadian. <laughs> you don't need that. Right. And you didn't need to do it by mail either. Right. You should have just shown up at the border <laughs> and you would have had this in, you know, 30 minutes and yeah, been on so your be, way. You know, be careful. Make sure these people that all you're All the extra hiring. filing fees, yeah. all the extra processing time. It can really mess up your opportunity to work in the U.S. and delay it significantly. So, so be careful. If somebody's, if you're looking for assistance with a TN, work with somebody who knows the issue specifically for Canadians um, or else you can get some, some crazy advice. Um, another one, and we see this a lot too, because you have a petition for alien relative, which is in the most common scenario we see here is a spouse. I'm a U.S. citizen, and I want to bring my foreign national spouse to the United States. So they file what's called Form I-130 with U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. And their intention is to process in their home country. So here we're talking about Canadians. So if you file a petition for alien relative, you're going to be processing in Montreal once it's approved. And you're going to get a consular appointment. You're going to get an immigrant visa at the end of it. And then you can use that immigrant visa to enter the United States. And we have people that often ask, hey, can I go to the United States when I have a pending immigrant visa application through the consulate in, in Montreal? Or do I have to remain in oh, the United yeah. States? And they tell them no. <laughs> and they're often told no. Yeah, you, you cannot enter the United States. If you file a petition for alien relative, you're stuck in Canada until, until you process for that immigrant visa. You cannot visit the United States. You cannot visit your spouse. You're, you're stuck. 
Right. And that the reason they say that is because they have confusion over the immigrant intent rule. Again, same rule. The first situation we talked about. Yeah. It's same rule that they, they don't know how it operates. Just the, the it fact is slightly that, different for Canadians, right? Well, because if you're coming because you don't need a visitor visa as a yes. Canadian. So if you're coming from a country where you need a visitor visa and you have a pending I-130, the consulate in your home country could say, well, you have this pending I-130. So um, we're taking the position that you actually intend to immigrate to the United States. So we're not going to issue you a visitor visa because we think you're going to plan to stay there once you get there. Canadians don't need a visitor visa. So that is going to be reviewed by the border officer and on a case-by-case basis. And they're going to use their discretion to determine whether or not the fact that you have a pending I-130 is an issue for you to come into the United States if that means you're intending to live there. Um, In most cases, it doesn't mean that at all. Sometimes these take a long time to process. Canadians are back and forth across the border a lot, especially if they have a loved one in the U.S., and if you can demonstrate that you're not going to live in the United States on this visit, then, you know, there's every, a very good chance you're going to get admitted. So, you know, we have cases where people they travel have pending, back and forth all the time. Oh, yeah, there's no issue throughout the process. So that's, you know, that's advice that impacts your life, whether or not I mean, you're going to you be sh- able to see your spouse. Yeah, if you show up with a U-Haul at the border... Again, you can't do that. But if you're still living in Canada, you have a job, you're, you know, all of those things show that, hey, I'm waiting to do this process properly through the consulate once approved. I just want to visit my loved one for now. Majority of the time, a border officer is going to grant the entry on that. Yeah, you just have to give them the comfort they need to know that you're coming back. Yeah, you're not coming to stay permanently on that during that visit. Um, And... We'll end on this one. This is this is one that when I heard it, I was just <laughs> I was shocked that that attorneys give this advice as well. Um, and this one has to do with a joint sponsor or, or the affidavit of support. So when you're immigrating to the United States and you're being sponsored by a relative, a spouse, or whoever it might be, they have to do what's called an affidavit of support, financial support. They're ensuring that you're that they will support you and you're not going to rely on any means-tested benefits here in the United States, food stamps, cash assistance, things like that. Um, So they're giving a financial uh, vouch for you that they're going to take care of you in the United States to have either a job or income that can support you and you won't be depending on the government. And I ran into an individual and this individual is being sponsored by her husband and and neither her or her husband met the financial requirements, so they got a joint sponsor, which is common. You can have somebody who's a U.S. citizen or U.S. permanent rel- permanent resident be a joint sponsor if you don't meet the financial requirements, and then they vouch for you. It, and then they say, you know what, they can't, but I'll step up and be the financial sponsor. They were told by the and this is a married couple, so husband and wife. Um, the husband's Canadian. She's a U.S. citizen. And she didn't meet the requirements. So she's having her father be the joint sponsor. And the attorney told them, since your father's a joint sponsor, then the person that you're petitioning, your husband here in this situation, must live with the joint sponsor. (laughs) So they were living apart. (laughs) 
So and, she's here in Buffalo. And he's living with her dad? And he's living with her dad because the attorney told him, no, you can't live together. He's the joint spot or you can't live uh, together. That means you have to live all live with your 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 father because he's the joint sponsor. You're confusing joint sponsor with household member. So she is traveling back and forth, working and living in Buffalo while the husband's living with the father oh based on bad legal advice awful and he's been going and if you know how long these cases take they could take a year to two years to process so they've been going through this for that long a but time but that's actually detrimental to your case because when you go to your interview and they ask and where are you that. living yes <laughs> i'm like well you know that can actually hurt your case right and she's like well why i'm like well you're married <laughs> and most married couples live together you know, there's situations where it doesn't apply, yeah. but he's in the United States. You're in the United States. There's no reason you shouldn't be living together in the same household. Wow. Horrible advice. <laughs> so not only are they commuting across, she's commuting across the country to maintain a relationship. Um, unnecessarily. Unnecessarily. Like, but they're also negatively awful. impacting the decision on their green card case because they're not living together. And I, and I'm not sure why the attorney gave that advice. I still don't wrap my hand. Or he I can't wrap my head around it because situations change. I think it's because of the household member. But even, but even then. You look at the form. But even then. This is not somebody who must, they must not practice much changes immigration law. And you get a job and you, you can supplement at the interview and show your situations changed. There's no situation where you shouldn't be living with Well, your there's spouse. no requirement for a joint sponsor to, to live, live with the with intending the immigrant. Yeah, that's... that's yeah, that is crazy, crazy advice. And to me, if if I'm the one receiving the advice, I'm like, I'd be like, what do you mean I can't live with my wife? What are you talking yeah. about? But a lot of people don't question it. They've paid for legal advice. They trust their advisor and as they right. should. They should be able to trust that person. Should but be able to. Trust but verify. Yes. And, and and I questioned and I said, hey, well, who's the attorney? I looked it up. Some attorney out in the, the attorney has, happens to be out in Colorado. And she said, oh, yeah, there's I know several other people that use use this attorney and they were given the same advice. I'm like, dang, that's that's awful <laughs> that you that all these people are going through that with. I mean, marriage is hard enough, you know, right. especially when you're newly married and you can't be with your spouse. That's just crazy to me. I, I just I still it, it baffles my mind um, why that uh, advice was given and, and how somebody can 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 give that advice it's just horrible and and every one of these situations that we've discussed today you can see that it has a significant impact on on your life on your ability to be employed in the u.s on your ability to travel um and your even the you know eligibility for the immigration benefit you're you're looking for so it could careful. exclude you from a benefit if, it, if it's done incorrectly and you follow bad advice so hopefully our discussion today, you know, opened your eyes to, to what can happen and, and make sure you're working with a competent professional uh, when you're dealing with these matters. Uh, we deal with Canadians on a daily basis. That's the bulk of what we do is we help Canadians to live and work in the United States. And not only do we have this podcast where you can, you can listen to us talk about uh, immigration issues for Canadians, but we also have videos on YouTube. We also have a website. You can always uh, give us a call or shoot us an email. We're available to assist you. So if you're a Canadian and you have questions about the immigration process, uh, we'd be glad to help you out. 
Thank you for, for listening to this episode of the Arrive podcast and have a great day.